Professor David Kirk Filth, and we're listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio, WP 88.7. We're excited to have a wonderful, exciting show tonight. <laughs> and it, what, what, what is the, Professor Dr. Marconi of Stabot is here. Yes. yes. Music Biz 101 and Two more. Two weeks in a row now. Two weeks in a row. You are back from assignment. You I are am back. Better than ever. You're looking amazing. Assignment. It's finished. We are going to tweet. He's wearing a special collar because of religion. Is that why you're wearing this yes, collar? Yes, yes. It's a, right. uh, it's a dog collar. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually he has uh, he has he had a procedure done on his neck, and he has this like cone around him so that he yes. won't lick himself. I won't lick myself. Yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> Dave has managed to lick for me. Yeah. <laughs> Very happy with how the show has started. Of course, we're talking about Music Biz 101 and, and more. the background music? The background music is by... You hear it? My beloved friend, yes, Rob... I don't. Oh, well, I hear it. <laughs> Rob, he's either complaining that it's too loud or he's complaining that it's too soft. He's like, I wish he'd be like Goldilocks and say it's just right. Yes. But he doesn't have as many locks left because of what's going on with the top of his head. We've ta- we're listening to the music of... Rob Fusari, Don't Let Love Down. We love Rob Fusari because of what he has done for our music business program and our pop music program here at William Patterson University. With Rob Fusari, we just put on a very successful 80s night that uh, between that and this collage event we did, one on March 3rd, one on March 24th, we raised over $15,000 for music department scholarships. And that was very cool. And Rob has helped us out with going to Nashville and we should give a little thanks to the Music Biz Association because save the date from May 15th to May 18th, 2017 when Music Biz That's Us goes to Music Biz That's Them in the Music City that's Nashville we will be there with a group a big group of students interviewing industry what? two years in a row two years in a row I can't hear him at all in my thing either we're, we're just complaining to the uh, most amazing producer engineer ever, Ashley Welter. Ashley Welter, making it happen. Without her, it's not going to happen. So thanks, Ashley, for being here. Um, so that was the Music Biz Association. We want to thank them. We wanted to thank Rob Fusari. Also, if you're interested, the Music Biz Association is coming to the campus of William Patterson University on Tuesday, April 11th at 7 p.m. We're going to do a special networking event. Ashley, are you going to attend this networking event sponsored by the Music Biz Association? Yes, I will. Actually. It's going to be exciting. We're going to learn all about how to network, and we're going to have some industry pros there with us as well. That's next week, right? Next Tuesday? That is next Tuesday, the 11th. So we're actually, everybody in our uh, university who's going to our Nashville event has to go to this. Are the signs up? There are signs up. There are emails going out. Yeah. There is pressure being dealt <laughs> to students, to everyone. And so it's going to be very cool. I'm actually dealing with the Music Business right. Association on Friday to, to work on that. Speaking of that, we should give some more thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. We love our, our best friend, Aaron Van Dyne Might. With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, and Kisser, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. 
Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And we should give congratulations to Brave New Radio for being named the number one college station in America again yes. by the Intercollegiate Broadcast System. For universities under 13,000. Over, for universities over 10,000 and not under anything. Wow, so we wow. beat out Very good. lots of universities. Name one university, Charles Potenza, who is our student co-host. Jordan, yeah. Charles Potenza, who's a doctor, getting his MBA yeah. in music management. Name a university with more than 13,000, 10,000 students. Syracuse? Uh, more Better than Syracuse, the alma mater of oh, Hall of Famer Esteban Marconi. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Does that make you upset that we're better than Syracuse? Not at all. <laughs> Excellent. You've been here longer than you were at Syracuse. Yes. So... Where would your allegiance, if, if, if somebody put uh, pressure on you and said, I'm going to kidnap your daughter, but you have to go to Syracuse, would you go or would you say, take her because William Patterson is, is my home? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would, no, I wouldn't answer the question. By the way, speaking of Esteban Marconi, managing your band, 6th edition is coming yes. out May 23rd. Order right now. Just looked at the uh, final proof. Final proof today. So this is April. It's coming out in about six, five and a half, six weeks. Yeah. So you can see how quickly they manufacture. One day we'll, we'll spend a couple minutes, maybe when Jim Donio, the Music Business Association, he's coming on in two weeks. Maybe when he's on, we'll talk a little bit about the business structure of our book. Okay. How we, we're basically, it's DIY and how we have distribution, but it's, it's interesting. Finally, go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for that weekly newsletter. Follow us on the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, at musicbiz101wp. And this will be recorded, is being recorded. Go to SoundCloud. Go to iTunes. Listen to the podcast, musicbiz101. Ashley Weltner, I think you have some good news, don't you? Who's on the air, Ashley Weltner? Our caller is on the air. We have a caller. We, do. we have a guest. Good. And his name is Mr. Tom Mullen. Mr. Tom Mullen. Tom, are you there? Uh-oh. I assume you're there, Tom. We can't hear you at the moment, Tom. You cannot hear oh, me. We, we got Tom, you now. now we hear you. Now we hear you. You hear me now? Yes. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, I know. Great. Um, it was our fault because I had mentioned do it. Do sign language radio, but I was wrong. This is actually the speaking radio, so thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. So, Tom, you are the VP of Catalog Marketing at the Atlantic new. Records. The brand new third yeah. day, right? As of three, as of three, as of three days ago, yes. Well, that's, great. We're going to get all of that. I want to introduce you. So, I'm Dave Philp. Uh, we have Steve Marconi, who's here. Yes. And then we have uh, Charles Potenza, who you met last year in yeah, Nashville. Yeah, we, we met briefly. Like we were going to meet, but then our schedules got a little dicey. So <laughs> down in Nashville, yeah, yeah. in yeah. Nashville. Tennessee. Great to hear. Great to hear you again. Cool. Yep. That was nice of you to say, Tom. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, it is great to hear. It's always, you know, Charles is a doctor. <laughs> Charles has a doctor in was it pharmacology? Pharmacy. Pharmacy. Yeah. 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 It's yes. Pharmacology, and yeah. then uh, he's getting his MBA in music management here. Yes, at and he keeps us supplied. Yeah, <laughs> he helps Dr. Barkan, and he's going to help Tom Mullen His stay. Tuition supplied. doesn't pay itself enough. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so at some point, we're going to actually speak with the guest. Yeah. Tom, are you still there? Or have you hung up at this point? No, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Esteban Marconi, why don't you take it away? Sure. And thank you, Tom, for coming on. So, Tom, you left um, Sony Legacy, and you now you're over here at uh, Atlantic 
catalog. Uh, many people, I think, students out there and our listeners would kind of think that legacy and catalog is pretty boring, that you're not dealing with the hippest brand new artists of the time. But yet, I've seen, you know, looking at your website and LinkedIn and all that, that the projects you have done have been great projects, at least with Sony, you know, from Miles Davis to um, to whomever. Uh, and it isn't boring at all, is it? No, it's not. I didn't know that either. When I started at Sony, I had only done Frontline. I worked at hardcore labels. I worked at punk labels, indie labels. I always said, I'm never going to work for a major. And then I had to pay rent. Um, and so I decided to work for a major. But the the real thing was, is a friend was like, look, catalog has a lot going for it. And the thing that I learned over doing a lot of the things, and we'll mention maybe some of the examples, is the stories. And these stories that can be retold in new ways and have a fan understand this artist in a different way. Um, you might think about Miles Davis um, that, oh, my dad listened to it or my grandfather listened to it, um, but maybe you saw the movie with Don Cheadle and then you're thinking mm -hmm. about it again. Or there's a way for you to experience him or understand his power and his influence. Um, if we're bringing up Miles, we did a project where we realized that his influence wasn't just music. He influenced culture. He influenced um, uh, uh, people's perception of what music was, all these things. So we looked at the Wikipedia data and came up with this website to show his influence across Wikipedia. And it was this very cool um, experience where you could tell, wow, he wasn't just, you know, influencing jazz heads. He was influencing the world. And we launched that on his birthday. So that was kind of like a happy birthday. This would have been your 80th or 90th. I apologize if I forget which um, one, 80 or 90. And here is, you know, here's something where you to learn about Miles. So that might sound still boring to someone, but for someone that maybe knows Miles or maybe knows one record, that's a different that that's a different conversation. Right. Um, so catalog marketing, in that regard, um, is uh, I mean, I mean, they're the best stories in the world. Yeah, <laughs> and you did uh, not only going back to Miles, but uh, David Galetta thing too, didn't you? Uh, David Guetta, yeah. Again, Susie. Yeah, yeah, no, no. That one was kind of interesting, and he, you know, to kind of preface it, when it was all said and done, he said it was his favorite um, marketing thing that the label had done up to that point. Uh -huh. um, and what, what this was was there was a kid on YouTube that lip-synced lip videos, and he did a Katy Perry one, and it did really well. And this was early on in YouTube and influencers, and this was – this was a new thing, and we kind of blindly reached out to him and said, hey, we have this idea. Do you want to um, lip sync a David Guetta um, mega mix? Now, the reason why is that no one knew who David was at the time. They knew the songs. They maybe heard it on the radio, but they didn't know that it was him. So the goal was have people understand who he is by being in the video but having this kid who was a YouTube star at the time lip sync this mega mix. So that's what the crux of it was. You know, 35 million views later, um, yeah. you know, it did its job. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, enough of Sony. What are you going to be doing over at Atlantic? 
I haven't done anything yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did the check come? <laughs> yeah, no, I think the just to sort of give a sort of general, I think, about because I didn't think about catalog um, as much as I should have um, and where its place is. And to think about it in a way that maybe is more current is streaming. You know, these albums and these songs from these artists, their catalog is being streamed. So the more music that's in there, the more catalog from an artist that's in these Apple Music, Spotify, Deezer, everywhere, is better for the label, for market share, for awareness, for playlisting, all those things. So the catalog is very, very important. The new album and breaking artists and, and making sure that everyone knows the song, that is hugely important. Um, but you have to maintain this catalog and continue to keep it relevant. So that's the mantra of catalog marketing that I don't think people realize is that you're in this sort of 24-7 mode of talking about these artists and keeping them relevant. You know, Miles, we had that thing for his birthday. Um, we've had things for Jeff Buckley. Uh, we've done a ton of stuff with Bob Dylan to keep him relevant and understanding that he's making great music now and he made great music back then. And, you know, there's always that one dud, not dud, but there's always one of those records that didn't get the recognition when it came out. And when you do something for it later and it gets this sort of second love, second recognition, I take a lot of pride in that, that it, it's, it took time for it to get its due. Um, and that's obviously the music, but maybe it was timing or um, uh, the staff or whoever, but that was an opportunity um, that I loved about Catalog. Uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. So with, with, with Atlantic, the, the idea is they have a lot of great records that are happening right now. And so the idea is let's do marketing around the new artist Catalog. Um, so this isn't box sets. This isn't, um, you know, dealing with um, estates of people that are past. These are people that are around. And how do you get people to maybe, hey, they really liked this one record by Death Cab. Well, next year is 10 years of plans. What do, uh, people should maybe know about that record again. Or maybe there's a way to explain that to them in a, in a new way. Uh, so that is the long-winded answer, but that is, uh, that's kind of what I'm doing. So... Um... <laughs> You know, we always used to preach and used to hear that when in the sales days that the catalog would be paying for the new artists that the uh, companies were signing and trying to break. Now with streaming and so on, is this still basically the case in terms of the economics of a large label? I, I, that, that's not my pay grade um, to see those numbers. Um, that's somebody else. But I generally... There is a large proponent of the money, yes, is catalog. But here's the great thing, is that if you do nothing, then sure, it's going to do something. But if you just do a little, it helps so much. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you sort of, you, you do not rest on, oh, well, the catalog's always going to do well, the label's going to do well. And that's across every label. You could be an indie label or a small one, whatever it is, or a punk label, hardcore label, you're still going to be relying on your catalog in some regards for those top records that are selling well and uh, uh, kind of carrying the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For a bigger label, yes, there's more of them, and yes, there's more, but you, even if we do a little, even if there's a, um, a concept around um, working out or there's a concept around summer or Valentine's Day, whatever it is in your 
continuing to expose people to more bands and more music, that is going to make your catalog larger because it's not a store anymore. It's the biggest store. It's everything. You can have everything you want. And so you have to find ways to drive people to that. Um, and I think it's, it's that, it's that game <laughs> that is exciting because it changes all the time. The algorithm of Spotify changes or Apple music, or there's a brand new one that comes out and you have to figure out what, you know, what's SoundCloud doing, what's, what's Pandora doing. All those things are, are, uh, changing every day and that's what's exciting it's not like oh well let's go to the one stop for this the vinyl and we're going to do this with walmart we're going to give the exclusive to target that's over it's happening yeah. it's still happening it's not gone but it's it's you know it's more and more and more streaming yeah yeah dave you were going to say something i uh I stepped on you no you did not i i don't remember what it was but oh. may, may i ask you a, a question tom just in, in your mind at what point does something become catalog it depends on the label um i can only speak from experience and these are this is not this is not general this is just uh, sony uh is 18 months or older now that doesn't mean that at 18 months i'm working adele um that means that on the books or whatever you call it, that's where it sort of lies. Now, other labels do it differently. Um, I'm sure Universal does it differently. I'm sure Indies do it differently. Um, but I know generally it's around 18 months, but more for the accounting, not necessarily the marketing. Mm -hmm. For us, for Sony, it was, um, you know, 10-year, 20-anniversary, 50-anniversary, 40 Those are sort of those... You looking for anniversaries, birthdays, milestones. Those are the things that you're going to have other chatter happening, and you can get a press hit, you can get marketing, all those things around that. So it's 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 all about finding the hook, finding the artist who has yeah. a hook that, like you like you just mentioned. So what kind of team of people at the label would you deal with to put these promotions together? And, and and determine if we're going to focus on this Dylan thing or this Miles Davis thing. What? Uh, who who was it at the label who was doing all this with you? So the A and R team, who are the experts, they're the they're the smartest people in the room when it comes to these artists. Um, and I'll speak from Sony's because those are ones that I most dealt with, and I think it's relevant for the conversation. The you know there's an Elvis expert there that is you know um, been uh, you know huge. Uh, fan, but also a scholar. Um, I, I just saw a Facebook post. One of the NR guys was at uh, Berkeley speaking about Elvis. So that was, you know, <laughs> wow. so these guys are, you know, experts in their field. That's going to be the first one. They're going to have a conversation with maybe the marketing person or the, uh, the estate or someone and talk about what's happening and what releases are coming for, you know, Elvis. It could be a collaboration that Priscilla has an idea on. Or it could be someone talking about another project for um, an artist and say, oh, that'd be kind of cool if we did this, this, and this. Hey, why don't we call this producer and you just around? Or it's a, wow, it's 10 years. Uh, a single soundtrack is a perfect example. That's coming out in May. I think it's 30. Or, um, if, no, no, 20. 20. Um, all these numbers start to go together. I'm horrible with maths. As you can tell, I've already <laughs> screwed up numbers. Uh, that's why, I, um, but for singles, it's okay. We've got these extra tracks. We've got these live tracks. Oh, cool. Allison Chains wants to do a video for us. And you start kind of adding the, 
Rolodex of who you have around these projects. Then it, we kind of figure out where it fits on the schedule. Is it around an anniversary? Is it around an, uh, you know when it was released? Is it around a tour? And then it's the marketing. The product manager gets assigned, and they start getting all the you know they're the traffic cop. They're getting everybody involved. Um, if it's sales, if it's uh, the digital team, uh, everybody. And then um, I kind of come in a little bit after that where I would come in and say, I was independent of sort of the team but worked for marketing, and I said, hey, I've got this idea. What if we did this with the digital team? What if we talked to Spotify and did this part to it, and I need this much money, or we, we just need to make this video? And then that's where the you start playing in the same sandbox as everyone's doing their job, the sales guy's doing his job, they, you know, the marketing team, the, the press team, I didn't mention them earlier, the press team is very important. From that, the, the socials, what's happening on socials leading up, and then my idea sort of would play in between all of them. Interesting, so. Yeah, it's it, exciting. It, yeah, it's almost like you have, see, on this end, because we're always dealing with, uh, you know, students who are 18, 19, 20 years old, and they're thinking, Katy Perry that you know they're thinking all about that they're not thinking about catalogs so much and so uh, when you talk about the fact that the catalog division has an A&R person has its own publicity has its own marketing it's it's it really I think makes it uh, very tangible to them that it's very similar to the pop side you know the the hit side yeah we have uh, or sorry not we the, the Sony apologize um, it's, it's still new Sony had um, you know there'd be new releases there was a new Loretta Lynn. Uh, there was a Loretta Lynn Christmas record that did really well. Willie Nelson has released his last bunch of records on Legacy, uh, this jazz band or sort of uh, Preservation Hall jazz band. Mm -hmm. they, um, they released their last two records on Legacy, and we were treating those as new releases. We had videos. We had, you know, a full press push. So it isn't just, okay, we're releasing, you know, the 20th anniversary of something, and that's it. Um, they... There are new releases for that. But again, it fits into that same realm. Like a Willie Nelson record, you know, on a on a big label with, you know, a bunch of pop artists doesn't make sense. With us, we're sort of similar to Sony was similar. Legacy itself was similar to Concord um, or something like that that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, but it really is exciting because you can get people to pick up the phone. Um, I used to joke all I had to do was put Bob Dylan in the subject heading. And people would write back. Yeah. Um, and you're able to have people, you know, do things for you because they love the artist. And that, that, that's across the board in the music industry. You, you know, people, everybody loves music. Um, and so you're, you're able to tap into different markets and areas. And I have a nice little Rolodex, so I either hit people from a marketing angle, press, or if it's a digital or ad agency, it could be an actor, uh, could be a sports person. All those things are all music fans, so you can, you know, work on those ideas using your Rolodex too. Yeah, I was just thinking about the, the Rolodex as you were talking about because you mentioned earlier you'd you'd talk to Spotify about this or you know in your sample uh, idea and the fact that. Um, networking and uh, not burning bridges and talking to as many people as possible and listening and uh, growing with people who you work with over the years. That's really important to you so that you can uh, build your career and build what you're doing with this job and current jobs. Yes. It, it, that is, if, if you could bottle up the reason I'm sitting here um, in my studio apartment in New York, barely making it. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, the, 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 uh, 
th that's the only reason I'm still here. Um, it's the friends that I made. Um, it's the people that I've met. And two things to it. One, I started really early. I was I was going to shows at the uh, I was at college radio and I was going to shows and meeting the band and getting the ID. That's all I was doing. But I was meeting the band and at times I was meeting the label rep. Maybe there was a local that was uh, uh, a rep that was in the area and I met him or I met some of the college radio people. Um, and it turned into, you know, meeting people and going to CMJ, which is no longer, but that was, a, you know, sort of like the, a, you know, a, a South by Southwest type thing. And that's how it started. And I kept in touch with people. And I learned that from my father. He had always sort of remembered something about somebody. Oh, he, I remember he liked, you know, the Yankees. And he would send an article in the mail or uh, give, give a phone call and have that conversation. I, I took that, um, and I still do that. I have friends that I met my first week in New York, and I still know a lot about them and care about them. And it goes both ways. You're not always saying, give me a job, give me a job. You're also maybe offering them something or that you know that they really like something and you would invite them to it, or it's just a marketing thing or a work thing. Um, those are mm -hmm. hugely important and I can't stress that enough. I get, I'm a mentor for the college that I went to and I get all these emails of like, Hey, so I'm a junior and I major in marketing and I want to get in the music industry. So do you have any interns? Did you need an intern? That's not the email. That email is, Hey, I did this website for this band. Um, I, um, book shows, um, and this, and I really want to get into tour marketing. Mm -hmm. Great. That helps me. Cause then I can talk to the tour marketing person and say, Hey, so I'm from my school. I don't know exactly, but they're kind of checking all the boxes. You should talk to them. That's the doing something in college. Like I literally, I wrote for the newspaper. I went to shows three nights a week and you know, I worked at the radio station constantly. That was my education part. And I was in bands. So you don't have to do all those things, but if you're into PR, you should help your friend's band. Uh, I know I'm going on a tangent, but what you said was so important, and I kind of did it innately in college, and I just noticed a lot of people that are reaching out to me, you know, uh, most aren't doing those little steps. Yeah, it's universal advice. Yeah, and it's funny because I was speaking with a student today who's going to be a junior next year, and I was telling her to look at this one student that we have named Joelle, who's going to graduate in about a month and uh, with her uh, minor in music business. And her LinkedIn profile is amazing because all the stuff that she's done over the four years between kind of like what you've done, uh, you know, being in school related things, um, getting great internships, uh, doing stuff over the summer, um, marketing bands, you know, all the stuff you talked about, um, building that resume before you even get out in the job market just so you you're that much more attractive to uh, everybody else and and i think the other point was i from doing the things that you think about okay i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go to shows i'm gonna meet bands i'm gonna help them i'm gonna maybe maybe book a show or work on that whatever it is the other half was taking a leap and there were times when you know it doesn't seem like right but uh i or or seeing opportunity I realized that my favorite band in, in the world at, at that time in college didn't have a website. I made the website for them. I didn't tell them. Um, and then they found it and emailed me and said, hey, that's really cool. Um, who do you think got me my first job? <laughs> the drummer of that band. Wow. Because they were signed to a label and they reached out to their friend and said, hey, 
this guy did our website, they were starting a digital department um, at this company. And that was when it was very, very archaic. But that's how I got my first job. That wasn't from school. That wasn't from the internship. That was something me outside mm -hmm. of my day-to-day. -day, but mm -hmm. I knew there was a need, and I just did it. Yeah. Right. Dave and I always preach it's what you do outside the classroom. It's going to get that's you. That's perfect. Yeah. I can't stress that enough because that's where the opportunities are going to come from. All your classmates are in school hearing the same thing. You do the assignment. You get an A. Fantastic. How about... You do something else outside of work. Watch what happens. All right. <laughs> what, what, uh, we had Danny Bennett uh, in last night in, uh, lecturing, who's head of Verve now. And what did he call that space? Uh, uh, almost the negative, the possibilities. Look yeah, at the, the possibilities. possibilities space. Yeah. He called it. Mm -hmm. so tell him to work there. Don't work with the uh, what classes give you, which is so um, structured and so on. Think outside yeah. the box. Yeah. And yeah, and by the and way, that, that's like, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to compliment you and say, you know, this uh, podcast that's going to turn into is already awesome because of all the stuff you just talked about. So that's great. Right. You're doing very, Tom, you're yeah, doing I, very well so far. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's just, I, I had no one tell me, you know, I was doing this in my heart. I just, I had to do it. I learned from a little bit from my father. I kind of was already new. I mean, I knew at an early age I was going to work in music. Um, and so it just, it, I, I just always knew. So when someone feels this way and I hear, you know, just, it, it just, I want, I, I want to see something else they're doing outside of, I went to school. Fantastic. You know, um, but what, what else did you do? And I think the, when you see something that should be done or you just want to do it. Just do it for fun, even if the band doesn't see it. Even if you didn't, the band that I was doing the website for, they might have never seen it. But I learned how to make a website, so that might have turned into something else. Um, so not always thinking I'm going to get a recognition um, is also part of it. Great, Charles would like to read a tweet for you. Yeah, we have some tweets. Uh oh, so. <clears throat> this... oh, for are, are they mine or there's someone else? <laughs> someone, someone it's a else. Question for you. <laughs> it's a question. Yeah, questions. Uh, this oh, is... okay. I thought you were looking through my tweets and then oh, I don't no, know. No. <laughs> um, this is from Anthony Miller, Anthony for Music. Um, he asks, "Hi Tom, what was your most memorable marketing campaign thus far?" It's gonna sound um, archaic, but I got to go to Hawaii with Willie Nelson. Yeah. That was probably the craziest one. We had a uh, secret show that we did with a website, and Willie was in Maui, and we wanted, and um, we were like, well, I guess we have to go there and go to it. And so we, uh, that was the campaign around the record. Um, he did a secret show, and Band of Horses, the band, was coming back from Japan, and they stopped in uh, Maui, which where Willie has a house in uh, Hana. And uh, he, um, they stopped by and played, and it was a restaurant. Might have been 120 people total. So <laughs> Band of Horses, Willie Nelson uh, in Maui, and I got to spend a week there. The favorite part was when I uh, called travel and told them where I was going, and they, they didn't believe me. <laughs> I had to, like, have my boss tell them I wasn't pulling their chain. <laughs> nice. Uh, another one for you. Yeah, and here's another one, at Keishra Bieber 1. Um, he says, or she says, <clears throat> hey, Mr. Mullen, what's one of the most risky choices you've made within your work that ended terribly? How did you overcome? What was that? So something that ended terrible. Yeah, like um, 
one of a, a risky choice you made that ended up working out terribly. How did you uh, overcome that? Or if you have one. Yeah, so I took a leap. I was working at an independent label in upstate New York, and I had an opportunity to work at a, a little bit bigger indie label in Los Angeles. And I, um, I, it was more money. They were offering to, you know, drive or um, uh, pay for my moving expenses and all those things. And it happens, you know, in the music industry where you're doing different jobs and different people you work with, and it just didn't work out. And it's funny, uh, the president of the label, I've actually recently, or not recently, but had him on my podcast. I have a podcast for the Another Life that I can talk about later. But so I, it was funny, kind of a full circle moment. But at the time, it just didn't work out. And I knew that um, I, it wasn't working out and I was, and I was probably going to get let go. Um, and I think from that point, um, it was bad. You know, it was, it, I don't think it was a good decision. I don't think I was right for the job. Um, I think um, it was the great, great, right decision for them, right decision for me. And it had me reevaluate what I wanted to do. And it had me sort of reset. I had, I called it, I had every day was a Saturday um, because, you know, everyone else is at work and you were off. And so you had a lot of time to think. And it was three or four months before I had an opportunity to work at EMI, which is now universal, but at the time it was separate. Um, EMI doing digital. And I think that's what I wanted to get back to doing. Um, I was doing product management um, at Vagrant, and I think I liked sort of the digital side just because I was so interested in what was happening in digital, not necessarily being a traffic cop, um, which sometimes product management is. Not always, but sometimes. Um, so that was something that I had to overcome. I had to overcome, you know, um, having uh, someone say, it's not working out. <laughs> I've had that in relationships like nobody's business. But it worked. Right. That was different. <laughs> um, I just have one uh, a question. So do you ever work with, like, say, unreleased music for a legacy artist? So say they have recorded three extra songs on an album and they were never released. Do you ever work on projects yeah. to put them out or anything? Yeah. that was th That's kind of the holy grail. Um and a lot of times it's in the archives, um, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes uh, there was one, there was one uh, example, which I hope I get all the um, examples right. But there was this Elvis concert in, and I'm going to get the years wrong. Just it, it was a long time ago. A guy had snuck in a Super 8 camera, um, which was an old, you know, very very old school sort of video camera, and he recorded a bunch of the show. And it's the only known sort of footage from that show at Madison Square Garden um, in New York. And so that was restored. Um, the audio was restored. They found other people that owned it. And I guess the guy that had this Super 8 footage had sort of held on to it forever. Um, and finally, I think the A&R team went out there. Flew, I think they flew to Vegas where he was and, you know, convinced him to or they did a deal to sort of get this footage. And so, you know, it's kind of like a a little bit of a treasure hunt sometimes because a lot of these things are in someone's bedroom or in someone's attic. Um, another story that's not Sony related, but I don't know if anyone has seen the documentary, a band called death. Have you guys seen it? No, no. So it's about this. It's about this band um, that was in Vermont. That's where I was actually where I was, where I grew up. And um, it was this African-American family and they were in this like reggae band. 
and we I was I knew the family. I was friends with the with the um, with a lot of the they had uh, uh, boys and girls. I was uh, friends with the oldest um, son, and supposedly they, they were in this like punk band um, back in the seventies that sort of predated Bad Brains, and it the tapes were in their attics. And uh, long story short a DJ had an old seven inch of theirs and was playing it and people were getting really excited about it. And it got this being like, who is this band? And the guys in the band, they, they never told their sons and daughters and family about this punk band. And so they've had a resurgence. They've actually had uh, tours. They've released another record. And that all came from this sort of record that was in their attic. Um, and so it's kind of fun how someone, you know, all it's sort of the, the thing is, is always dig in those crates. You know, you never know what you're going to find. Mm. Um, so that's kind of, the, again, the exciting part about Catalog is that they might find something. There might be this Jimi Hendrix show that was never aired and, or, or, you know, heard, and he did a performance of one song that he'd never done before. Whatever it is, that's exciting. What's the story behind it? Why? Um, and that's kind of the exciting part about it. Mm -hmm. It's funny because we had on... Um a guy named Zev Feldman, who I used to work with at the Universal Music Group uh, back in late January. And he works with a jazz label called Resonance Records. And one of his jobs is to, on the jazz side, do exactly what you were just talking about. He's, uh, he goes around and he looks all around the world for lost catalog releases that might be owned by the widow of some guy or you know the bass player who hasn't talked to the rest of And it's all jazz. But, you know, the bass player of some quartet who recorded stuff back in 1964 and hasn't talked to anybody in the band left and is the only guy still alive. So exactly what you're talking about in terms of that mining that catalog and finding things in the attic or finding it just because somebody tipped somebody else off. But people know that it's there. Yeah. And a, a, a full circle moment, which related to that story is so I told you about the website that I did for that band. They were, they were called Shift. They were on Equal Vision, but then they got signed to Columbia, part of Sony, and released one record. Uh, I've been, I stayed friends with the drummer, most, most, most of the band, but mostly the drummer. She works at Warner Brothers now. But um, she hit me up not long ago, maybe six months ago, and said, hey, uh, our, our record on Columbia isn't on um, you know, streaming services. Can we fix that? And I go, you come to the right person <laughs> because I know exactly how to do this. So we, you know, I had an email and I went to, I went to the one of the A&R guys and I went to the archives and said, hi, there's this band and here's the email. They would love to know if, because uh, actually Apple Music had wanted to put one of their songs on a, on a playlist. So we're like, oh, of course. So we, I sent the email out. They went to the archives. They found the master. They found the artwork. They scanned the artwork. They uploaded it. Magically, a few weeks later, there's the record. And, you know, again, that was from me doing a website for them, you know, um, I won't say how long ago, but, tw you know, a long time ago for them to then me able to help her get her band on a streaming service. Um, so it's kind of you know, stay in touch with everybody. <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's, it's actually too bad that you left Sony because uh, Steve Marconi, who's with us, was signed to was it CBS Records. Epic. Epic Records in 1970. Yep, the early 70s. Ah. And and his and it, what the band was called Jam Factory. Correct. And that stuff's not available on any streaming services. No. Two records or just one? Um, one album and one single. 
Okay. There wasn't well, if, uh, email me, email me on my Gmail and I can, I can find out and we can, I, I still have their friends over there so we can email them and ask them if they have it. I'm sure they have uh, photos from, um, oh, yeah. you know, the sh you know, things I'm sure they have everything. Some of, um, some of the sure photos are new. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I think that's, that's, that's the part about it too. It's like, all this stuff out there, it's not like there's a limit. We can, it's not like a store only has so many SKUs. We can, you can put everything up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, we, so, did, did you want to say something? Yeah. Let's go. So what, what made you having so much fun at Sony? Mm -hmm. What made you switch? So yeah. there was an opportunity to do a little more um, and to lead. Um, there's a, you know, I think that, that, that's sort of the, the, the short answer. It was a, it was a challenge. Um, I think, um, working with newer artists again and, um, working with a new department, um, that's kind of the impetus to why, um, mm -hmm. and it's five years at Sony. It was fantastic, but again, an opportunity comes and there's certain folks liking what you're doing. I had a really successful year. Um, part of the company, I think, um, we had a, we had a really good year, not I, we did. Um, with uh, awards and uh, artists doing really well and having things, so it, it was a it, it was a good time where people were noticing. And um, I think you another thing I say uh, always take a meeting because mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's like you never know who you're going to meet, you never know what that opportunity is, and um, it, it's just always kind of have your ears open. Sure. Now, uh, do you notice a different culture? as usually Universal and Sony and Warner, uh, just the culture of the company and the corporation is uh, different. Do you notice a difference? Um, I definitely noticed between EMI and Sony. Uh, EMI was very British, uh, very, you know, just, I don't know if everyone's dealt with anybody from England, uh, very British and, you know, Sony was very, Japanese, very like direct. There's a system for everything. There's a way this works. Mm -hmm. It was very comforting. You know, it was very systematic. And that's not to say the marketing was systematic, but the the, the structure and how right. things worked was the very well well defined. And um, I actually liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. And what are you noticing about Warner? Nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> Still too new. Close to the cuff. Yeah, yeah still too new. Right, uh, uh, no, do... I've, I've had friends that have worked there for a very long time, and um, I think it's it feels like a lot of independent labels within that system, and that's sort of the vibe I'm getting so far. Um, right. And uh, so, again, it's it's definitely a little still Yeah, we have a great me. number of friends over at Warner. Yeah, even uh, oh, at, at, at Atlantic, uh, Paul Sinclair. Uh, have you met yes. Vice President of, yes, of I have. Uh, Digital. Okay. Great, great guy. Huge friend of our program here. Right. And then, of course, oh, fantastic. Warner Music Services. Yeah. We have uh, Dan Goldberg and Matt Young. I don't know if you've Dan, met them met, yet. But, he uh, will, though. Yeah. We, we have a great relationship with the Warner Music Group. So um, we're actually going to be good friends with you probably very soon. Nice. Yeah. This is the best. Um, uh, Steve mentioned that we had Danny Bennett here uh, on campus yesterday. Again, he's the head of Verve Label Group. He's also was Tony Bennett's is Tony Bennett's son and his manager, and he was talking about at Verve what they consider a success, a project or not. And the success is not necessarily the revenue that comes in from sales. 
unlike the way it was a decade ago when we were still talking about physical product. At Sony, and then I don't know if they've talked to you at all about Warner, how do you guys uh, determine that a project you worked on was successful? What are all the different factors that make something successful? And you guys could say, good, we did a really good job. Um, again, pay grade, that's a different pay grade for the money stuff. I wouldn't know. Um, but based on, you know, the marketing spend and how things do well, I'm sure there's that number where it's like, hey, we want to spend this much and we want it to sell this amount. I'm sure that's happening. That's someone else dealing with that. I'm not sure what that is. I was focused on the marketing. So if we had a plan and everyone agreed to it and we executed all of those plans and said, this is what we did for this, this is what we did for press, this is what we did for digital, this is what we did for sales, and we executed that, and yes, there are times where you change things or you adjust based on what happens. There might be a, a new tour gets announced or uh, there's a huge press hit or whatever it is. Um, those, those types of things happen. Um, so that's how I know at Sony, that's how we thought of it as a success. If we executed everything and we did as much as we could and you can't, you can't dictate what's going to happen. Uh, it's just, it's impossible. Music is not a math problem. Um, not two plus two plus or two plus two is not four. Uh, it is four, but not for music. And there might be a factor. There might be something happening that week that you release a record that changes how people are perceiving it or whatever it is. And so I think um, I'm trying to be general but also specific at the same time, but it's, it's really hard to say. Um, it's just based on the record. Um, of course, there's a, at Sony there was international. And so what was it selling in Japan and what was it selling in England and Germany and France um, and all the things that come along with that? Um, it's also uh, uh, plays into the money. Do you want to talk about, you brought up the podcast. Why don't you bring up the podcast that you do? And, and, and then when you do that, talk about how you market your podcast and how you reach an audience. Yeah, so about 10 years ago, this, August, this October, I started a website called Washed Up Emo. And it was basically talking about bands that weren't um, remembered and no one had sort of been talking about um, from the 90s. And it was... At, at that time, you know, a lot of information about bands. And again, no one was talking about these artists, no one um, online. And dude, it for, did it for a few years and around 09, 010, there started to be a little bit of a resurgence in the sound. And in two, 2011, I started the podcast because I said, wait a minute, there's no audio history of these artists. Uh, no one has interviewed, you know, these bands extensively about their history and their life. And so that's what I started doing. And I'm almost at episode 100, and I've interviewed everybody from, you know, the 90s through the 2000s through today in the emo punk hardcore genre. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been really fun to re tell these stories again. And they're very evergreen, meaning that if you go and listen to, you know, uh, Chris Simpson from Mineral, or if you go listen to Matt from the Get Up Kids or Jim Atkins from Get, uh, Jimmy World, it's going to sound um, relevant because it's very general about what their life was and what music they were into. And um, it's not like, Hey, we got a new record out. <laughs> it's not a lot of that um, because those things seem really dated. So that was really fun. Um, and we've been DJing in New York for the past six, six years, almost seven um, playing music. And again, it's my, I call it my 10 PM to 2 AM job. Um, but again, it's about nostalgia. It's about people remembering and sharing and all the socials that I do. I mean, I've, I run 
four or five different things for Washed Up Emo, and they all have specific, you know, things that I post, if it's videos or content that I've made, um, all those things. It's, it, it plays into, you know, promoting the podcast. Um, it's not just the, the podcast. It's about sort of the education of the genre across all the socials and the website. It's really, really fun. I, it's my, you know, sort of um, release from having to deal with work. That's pretty cool. Now, one thing you mentioned is, and I think a lot of people who eventually listen to this are going to wonder how you got in touch with all of these artists. Uh, I guess you might have it in because of the label you work for, but that's. But you said you, how long have you been doing this for? Seven years? Five years? The, the, podcast, the podcast. The podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just just over six. Okay. So, uh, or so, almost seven. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a great question because it came from. Um, it came early on. It came during college. I started meeting the labels. I started meeting the bands. I was going to see them. No, I wasn't texting them or no, I wasn't, you know, emailing them, but I had been to enough shows and, and been familiar with them that I was understood. Oh, wow. I, oh yeah. I, I remember you, or I remember the radio thing, or I remember when you worked at that label and you toured with the band, I sort of came up with a lot of these artists and the newer bands knew like uh, I worked at e Equal Vision for three years, and it was an amazing time. We had bands headlining on Warp Tour. I was at MTV um, pitching bands up against all the other majors. Um, it was an unbelievable time. There were people that are that age then watching Fuse or MTV2, which was a major outlet at that time, that I meet later, and they're like, wait a minute, you were at EVR working the Armor for Sleep record? Whoa. You know, it's sort of like... They're like, that was you? And so it was fun to, you know, they see me sometimes a little bit, you know, they, oh, wow, you were working bands we really love. And then the older bands are, well, you were, you know, right there alongside us um, as we were touring or you were working at a label. And so I don't have any trouble getting artists. Um, it's more of, you know, timing and everyone's busy with kids and work and life. <laughs> and, and it goes right back to what we were talking about about 20 minutes ago. Uh, in, in terms of keeping connected and finding ways to talk to people and, and having that story. So that's, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's sort of the, you know, I have it for the music industry and there's industry friends, but then I've got it for, and here's the best part. All these artists are like my favorite artists. And so um, a really, I guess, kind of sum it up of that sort of the full circle again is, you know, I'm a huge Jimmy Eat World fan and seen them a ton of times and, gotten to, you know, interview them um, a few times. And randomly, um, I get an email from them, and they're like, hey, who should open up uh, some of our East Coast dates? And I was thinking, they got to be asking a ton of people. You know, I, I, bet, I bet they did. But I shot them over a couple ideas, and they wrote back and said, hey, we're going to take that band out. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I got to tell the band, that, and they, like, lost it. They could not believe it. And so it was that fun moment of, you know, I, I'm, I, still, I still get excited. I still love music enough where I couldn't believe that my favorite band asked me who should go on tour with them, and they, and they said yes <laughs> to that band. So it was a very cool moment for me, and I think um, it's not necessarily like a, like a brag, but more of like it got to that point where we were in a relationship where they understood I had value and I was helping them. Um, and that, that, that was a cool moment. And I hope people strive for that, um, that it's not about going out and drinking with them or hanging out. It's more of how can you help them? How can I help you in your craft 
and how, like, I want to see Jimmy Eat World for the next 20 years. And I hoped I had a little piece of helping them continue on. Wow, that's great. Great. One more tweet. We have about three minutes left. Okay, yeah, this question is from Michaela. <clears throat> Michaela, um, what, what's the hardest part about catalog marketing? That's the question. That is a fantastic question. So the hardest thing is most of the time they're not around or they're busy or they don't have time. And so you have to come up with an idea or a marketing plan without them. So I get pitched um, all day on um, marketing ideas that involve the artist. Hey, if the artist did this, if the artist, and I stop them and I go, they're not going to do anything. What's your idea? And so that's that thing you have to think about um, where I have to think about is I'm not going to have the artist. What's the idea? And it kind of gives you a little bit of a, um, a tough thing. to. You have to sort of think a little harder. Um, and I actually like that a lot. Um, it's not the usual, all right, well, they're going to do these interviews and they're going to do this thing and tour. And, you know, sometimes, you know, Jeff Buckley, um, you know, is, isn't around. We had to come up with ideas for his um, record of unreleased material without him. Um, and you have to work with the state and you have to work with their family who have a personal um, feeling. And, you know, this Jeff Buckley um, thing, I don't know if, I, if you guys saw the Jeff Buckley record collection, right? Yes. Um, yeah. which, which was, so that was something that came from his mom. Jeff's mom had this pictures of his records. And I said, wouldn't it be cool if you could listen to Jeff's records um, on a website? And so that's what we did. We came up with a, a way for you to, listen to his collection and it was a look into his life and his career mm -hmm. and his, his interests. And, you know, uh, his mom said the most, the best thing I, you know, again, I heard, she said, Jeff would have loved this. Mm -hmm. So there, there was my payment for the week. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So our payment for the week was having you on the show and we really appreciate you being on. So thank no you. Problem. Tom Mullen, Tom Mullen of Atlantic Records. Are you going to be in Music Biz in Nashville, do you know, this year? I don't think so. I think this year, I went last year. I think it's a little too late for me to do that. I, I apologize. I don't think so. But it might change. Someone might say, hey, we need you here. So, Okay. Because <laughs> that's what All happened right. last year. <laughs> great. Well, if we see you, we'll give you a great big bear hug, and then you can punch at least thank me you. in the mouth, which is okay. I'm used to that. But uh, we do want to thank you for being on the show. Yeah, great. And a, That's a great interview. One more thing before I go. I, I, the, the questions that came in, I hope they were students. Those were fantastic questions and better questions than sometimes I've had people that have interviewed. So <laughs> great. You, those are the really great job. Like, and I think that you guys do this and have different people on from different um, facets. Um, I wish I had that. So you guys are really lucky to, you know, to have this opportunity. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. And, yes, those were our students who were asking those questions. They, they love you. They're, they're big fans of Tom Mullen. So, again, Tom Mullen. Yeah. Music biz one thanks, guys. Back. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Yep, thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Charles, um, uh, in 30 seconds, what did Charles Next week? Next week, uh, Charles will not be here. Charles Potenza, who has a doctor, doctorate, but not in pharmacology, because that's not a word. Uh, next week is rock and roll photographer Mark Weiss, uh -huh. along with his uh, with PR maestro Boy, we're George. Some great Dassel. photos. Yeah, the, the photos, and now uh, probably gonna try and show some videos to you guys on the air. Yeah. After that, Jim Donio, president of the Music Business Association, then Todd Horn who's the vice president of international for ADA mm -hmm. and then Melissa DeGeorge from Cobalt. Cobalt okay. is a huge indie publisher. That's going to be great. Then uh, after that, Tony Phillips, 
who's the vice president of on-demand content for WNYC Radio. Doing oh. a lot of, again, talking podcasts and marketing. Yeah, yeah, that's so, great. WNYC is 93.9 FM in oh, the New yep. York market. So we need to go. So we want to thank Charles Potenza. Charles Potenza. Yes. We want to thank Ashley Weltner. Ashley yes. Weltner. Ashley Weltner making it happen. We want to thank Dr. Esteban Marconi. And, of course, my co-host. David Kirkfield. That is high. Professor David Kirkfield. And we didn't get to clap enough for Marconi. So big clap for Marconi. I'm your Professor David Kirkfield. And we want to thank you for listening to Music Biz 101 or more on Brave New Radio 80.7 FM. Tune in next week. And then uh, we won't be saying hello to you at this moment because that's the wrong thing to say because it is the end of the show. So what we're going to say at this point is three, two, one. Adios! your hand